The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives with you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The 11th chapter of John's Gospel, it's the whole story of the raising of Lazarus. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, also called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. 
And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. May I speak in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I feel a, a little bit spoilt for texts uh, this morning. John 11, the story of the raising of Lazarus, is one of the, the great stories of the New Testament, isn't it? And um, it tempted me to, to speak on it, especially as we're saying goodbye to Mary uh, tomorrow. Mary, who died utterly secure in her belief that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, wonderfully secure. But I'm drawn to uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 that Natalia read for us. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's laws, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. These are amazing words from an amazing chapter of the New Testament. What, what does control you? What controls me? It's a fascinating question, one that behaviorists and others agonize over. What is the biggest influence on us? What shapes us? 
Could it be our genetic makeup, perhaps? Many would say yes. Could it be our environment? Great discussions. Does nature, does nurture trump nature or vice versa? Perhaps a combination of the two is the compromise that most settle for. But what are we controlled? Are we, are we, are we controlled? Are we programmed? Are we preconditioned to certain actions or certain activities? To what degree are we programmed? I remember a few years ago, Colin Blakemore used to live just down the road here, distinguished, um, what would you call him, Andrew? What was Colin's, what would you call him, a biologist? Physiologist, physiologist, thank you. Colin Blake was a physiologist, came to speak at a group that I was part of for a few years, and he told us, uh, controversially, I think, but with some conviction, although a little bit of mischief as well, that human beings would soon disappear, disappear, that their time of being in charge of things on the planet Earth was limited because the body is so inefficient, and we and our world would soon be controlled not by by human beings, but by machines, because machines were much more efficient and lasted much longer. Our decaying bodies are limited in time and effectiveness. We're going to lose control of our planet, lose control first of our lives and then our planet. I thought it was total bunk at the time, and I'm happy to say, actually, that most of my group thought it was total bunk as well, and I'm not sure that Colin really believed it either, but anyway, it was quite fascinating, and it made us think about what does influence most. Perhaps we're controlled by our ambitions, by our jobs, by our family commitments. Perhaps we're controlled by our appetites. Certainly, when I was uh, working in sport, Elite sports people, I found, were controlled often by a combination of ambition. To be a champion, you had to have a very uh, determined ambition. But they were also controlled by their appetites, and these were often conflicting controls in their lives. Ambition to succeed, for instance, might lead to cheating of one sort or another, drug-taking, etc. Satisfaction of appetites might lead to exactly the things that stop you winning, bad habits, drinking, sex, usually a combination of the two in the case of sports people. (laughs) Paul writes that the the spirit-filled Christian is controlled by the spirit who lives in us. The spirit-filled Christian is controlled by the spirit who lives, lives in us. Now, this does not mean, of course, that we don't have a battle. We have a battle with our cultural assumptions sometimes. Christians in history have defended racism, slavery. Or we don't have a, it doesn't mean we don't have a battle with our appetites. Consider how many Christians succumb to sexual sin or to alcoholism and other addictions, for instance. It does not mean that we do not have a battle with our ambitions consider how many Christians behave very badly. But the born-again, Paul maintains, the born-again, spirit-filled Christian, the one in whom the Spirit of God lives, can never enjoy these lapses 
The Spirit-controlled life will mean that when we succumb to these influences on our lives, these other controls, we are deeply regretful and deeply repentant. We cannot be controlled by the Spirit of God and enjoy sin. The Spirit controls us. The Spirit enables us to see us for who we are and sin for what it is. God is always present for the believer, troubling us, causing us to seek His way in life. I remember years ago being uh, close to a remarkable man called Justin Fashionu. Justin was a professional footballer who was the first million-pound black footballer. He played for Nottingham Forest and many other teams. Justin was gay, and uh, he was a quite lovely, beautiful man and uh, a wonderful, sincere Christian. As his career began to finish, he periodically lapsed back into a gay lifestyle for a while here and then in the United States of America. He came back to England and lived in this battle between his um, orientation, which he felt had some control of him, and his love of Christ, which was very sincere and genuine. In the end, it proved disastrous for him. The battle was too great and he hung himself, and I was privileged to speak at his funeral, which, because Justin came from a West Indian background, was, uh, his coffin was open, and I remember seeing and being incredibly <clears throat> saddened and moved by the rope mark around Justin's neck as we said goodbye to him at his funeral. What controls us? What controls us? The grace of God tells us that when we put our trust in Christ, we are controlled by the Spirit who takes up residence in our lives. The challenge for us is not just to believe that, not just to believe the grace of God, but then to live what we have been made by God's grace. New people, new people, with new power actually to live Christ-like lives. Justin's is just one tragic example of where uh, the tension between uh, what we want to be and what God has made us and what we are can lead to tragic results. In fact, what Romans 8 teaches us, and John Collins has written a beautiful little book called The Diagram of God's Love, which I'm going to be using for my three-hour service on Good Friday John Collins has written this beautiful book to describe how we need to understand what has actually happened to us as Christians, that the old sin-controlled life is, in God's eyes, dead. We are buried with Christ. We are made anew. Righteousness is something not that we achieve, but something that is attributed to us because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, which we remember in this service. Actually, actually, we are alive in the Spirit now, even though the battle with the flesh continues. We are counted righteous. It's an amazing, amazing change that has taken place. This is the grace of God. 
let us determine to live what God has made us. Let us determine to live what we are. Let's pray for a moment. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. We thank you for this world-shattering news, Father. We thank you that there is something about a human being that is utterly special and eternal. You've made us in your image. You've come to dwell in our hearts by your Spirit. You long for us to be your friends in eternity forever. And it begins now as the Spirit of God takes residence in our lives. As we remember this morning at this communion service, how that has come about because of this great Easter story, because you took our punishment on the cross, because you have overcome sin and death and pictured that in the story of Lazarus, enabled us to believe it with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. Help us today to believe that we have been made new. We are not what we were. We thank you and pray that your Spirit would come afresh upon us this morning, control us, and enable us to live the lives that you've called us to, for Christ's sake. Amen.